Book Two, Chapter Three of the New Republic by William Hurrell Mallock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by phone. Guided by Lady Grace, the guests gradually converged after luncheon towards the appointed spot, straggling thither by various ways and in desultory groups, passing down broad flights of steps flanked by gods and goddesses and along straight terraces set with vases and irish yews while busts of orators poets and philosophers with latin inscriptions glimmered to right and left of them in groves of laurels and scaly tritons dappled with green lichens spouted up water in the middle of gleaming basins everything was to-day looking at its loveliest there was an unusual freshness in the warm summer air beyond the green shrubs the sea shone bright and blue and through the shrubs the sea-breeze moved and whispered lawrence strolled slowly on behind with miss merton choosing a path which none of the others had taken how delicious this is said miss merton lifting her hat to enjoy the breeze upon her forehead nobody could be in bad spirits in a place like this there is something so fresh and living everywhere and even when we lose sight of the sea we still hear it yes said lawrence i believe these gardens are like keats's island there is no recess in them not haunted by the murmurous sound of waves and how perfectly everything is kept what gardeners you must have said miss merton as they turned up a narrow winding walk thickly set on either side with carefully trimmed laurels the whole place was indeed as miss merton said kept perfectly not a weed was on the grey gravel not a single twig called for pruning every vase they passed was full of the most delicious flowers overhead the branches of limes and of acacia trees murmured gaily everything seemed to be free from care and to be laughing light of heart in the bright weather i am taking you this way said lawrence because i want to show you what i think may perhaps interest you as he spoke these words a sudden bend in the walk brought them face to face with something that gave miss merton a sudden sensation of surprise it was a small classical portico built in a style of the most severe simplicity through which by an iron gate one passed into an open space beyond what surprised miss merton on seeing this was the singular sense of desolation and dreariness that seemed all at once to come over her the iron gates before her were a mass of rust the portico which had once been white was weather-stained into a dismal grey the stone too it was built of was scaling off in almost every place and the fragments lay unheeded as they had fallen upon the ground here amongst everything that spoke of the utmost care was one object that spoke of entire forgetfulness and neglect they approached in silence and miss merton looked in through the bars of the rusty gate the scene that met her eyes was one of greater desolation still it was a circular plot of ground fenced round by a low stone wall that was surmounted by spiked railings it looked as though it might have been once a flower garden but it was now a wilderness 
outside its boundary rose the rare and beautiful trees of the happy-tended shrubberies inside were nettles brambles and long weedy grass nothing else was visible in this melancholy enclosure but three cypresses apparently of various ages the two smaller planted near together the third and by far the largest standing apart by itself miss merton was quite at a loss what to make of the strange spot and as lawrence was feeling in his pocket for the key she asked him if it had anything to do with breeding pheasants do you see what is written above the gate said lawrence as he pointed to a dim inscription whose letters still retained a glimmer of fading gold can you read it Nequa haum quas colis aborum te peter invisam cuprasum ola brevum dominum sequitur of all these trees which you love so the hated cypress only shall follow its master and be faithful to him in his narrow house but come let us go inside if you are not afraid of the long grass they passed through the gate which gave a low wail upon its hinges and miss merton followed lawrence knee-deep in grass and nettles to the smallest of the three cypress trees there lawrence paused at the foot of the tree miss merton saw a flat slab of marble with something written upon it and for the first time she felt certain that she must be in a place of graves this said lawrence pointing to the little cypress was planted only five years ago ten days before the poor old man died who now sleeps under it this is my uncle's grave do you see the inscription omnis moriar nulaque pars mei vitabit libitinam i shall wholly die and there is no part of me that will escape the venus of death that and that alone he chose to have written over him lawrence spoke with some feeling but miss merton was so much surprised that she hardly knew what response to make and does nobody take any care of this place at last she said no said lawrence by his own last orders nobody but come you must look at this too and he motioned her towards the neighbouring cypress at the foot of this almost hidden by the long grass miss merton saw something that surprised her still more strangely it was the statue of a woman half reclining in a languid attitude on a block of hewn marble the figure was full and beautiful and the features of the face were singularly fine but there was something in the general effect that struck one at the first moment as not pleasing what slight drapery there was was disposed meretriciously over the rounded limbs on the arms were heavy bracelets one of the hands held a half-inverted wine-cup and the other was laid negligently on a heap of coins but what jarred most upon the feelings was the face with its perfect features for a cold sneer was fixed upon the full mouth and the fine nostrils and the eyes with a leer of petulant sensuality seemed to be fixed for ever upon the flat neighbouring gravestone this cypress said lawrence is much older than the other it was planted twenty years ago and twenty years ago the original of that statue was laid beneath it 
she was one of those many nameless ladies for as you know he completely exiled himself from society all the latter part of his life who from time to time shared his fortunes at the house here she was too by far the loveliest she was at the same time the hardest the most selfish the most mercenary as well and he knew it too in spite of the distraction he found in her companionship he was never for a moment deceived about her at last having made a fortune out of him she was thinking of leaving him but one day suddenly she caught a chill and died she died here and here she was buried that statue as you may imagine is his design not hers the attitude the drapery the wine-cup held in one hand and the money in the other are according to his express direction and by his direction too that face with its lovely features leers and sneers at him for ever as he rests in his neglected grave see too there is the epitaph which he chose for her lusisti satis edisti satis atque bebisti tempus abire tibi est you have wantoned enough with me you have eaten enough of my substance you have drunk enough of my champagne tis high time for you to go and now said lawrence let us come to the third tree and you shall see what is overshadowed by it they passed across the enclosure to the largest of the three cypresses and at the foot of that miss merton discovered a third gravestone also with a poetical inscription that said lawrence you can read without help of mine miss merton looked and the lines were not new to her a slumber did my spirit seal i knew no mortal fears she seemed a thing that could not feel the touch of earthly years she knows no motion now nor force and she neither feels nor sees rolled round in earth's diurnal course with rocks and stones and trees here said lawrence is the oldest grave of all its date is that of the tree that stands beside it and that was planted forty years ago under that stone lies the only woman except myself almost the only thing that the old man ever really loved this was in his young days he was only thirty when she died and her death was the great turning-point of his life she lived with him for two years in a little cottage that stood on the very spot where he afterwards built the villa she has no name you see on the gravestone and i had best not give her any she was someone's wife but not his that is her story i have her miniature somewhere which one day i should like to show you it is a lovely dark face with liquid spiritual eyes and under it are written two line of byrons which might have been composed for her she walks in beauty like the night of cloudless climes and starry skies well there she lies now and the old man's youth lies buried with her it was her death that made him a philosopher he built this great place here and laid out these gardens half to kill his grief for her and half to keep alive her memory and here as you see he buried her she gave up all that was best in her for the love of him he gave up all that was best in him for the loss of her 
and is this place left quite uncared for said miss merton looking around her it is left said lawrence as he wished it should be it was one of his most special orders that when he was dead and buried no further care of any kind should be spent on it the grass and weeds were to be left to grow wild in it the rails to rust the portico to decay and crumble do you think he said to me that i know so little of life as to flatter myself that any single creature will regret me when i am gone or even waste a thought upon me i do not choose as christians do to rest for ever under a lie for their tombs are lying monuments that they are remembered mine shall be a true one that i am forgotten yes he said it makes me laugh to think of myself me who have built this house and planted these gardens which others will enjoy rotting in the midst of it all under thorns and brambles in a little dismal wilderness and then perhaps otho he would say to me some of your friends who will walk about these gardens in a year or two christians no doubt with the devil knows what of fine sentiments about faith and immortality will look in through the bars of the gate and be shocked at that honest wilderness that unconcealed neglect which is the only real portion of those that have been but during his last illness he softened just a little and admitted that i he did believe cared for him and might when he was dead every now and then think of him and so he said if you like to do it come every now and then and scrape the moss from my inscription and from the two others but that is all i will have you do that and nothing more that will express all that it is possible that you should feel for me i promised him to do no more than that and that i do poor old man lawrence went on meditatively as they passed out of the gates and were again in the bright trim garden he thought that he belonged to times before his own but i think that in reality he belonged to times after them if he was roman at all as he always fancied himself he was roman only in that sombre ennui that through all his later years oppressed him and which seems to me to be now settling down upon the world an ennui that always kept him seeking for pleasures and that turned the pleasures into ashes as soon as he possessed them his pleasures were high and low but the higher made him despise the lower and the lower he sought simply that he might drown the higher two things only during his last years never palled upon him one was saying a sharp thing neatly the other detecting some new weakness in human nature in this he seemed really to revel on the littlenesses and the pretenses of men especially when they turned out failures he seemed to look with a passionate contemptuous fondness like a wicked prince on a peasant girl see here was his summer study this stone pavilion let us go in for a moment and i will show it to you they were in front of a small quasi-classical building of white marble embowered behind in arbutus and in myrtles and commanding from its large windows a full view of the sea lawrence unlocked the door 
and he and Miss Merton entered. Inside there was a faint, musty smell, and a general sense that the place had been long disused. The walls were completely lined with books in splendid bindings, whose gilded back glimmered temptingly through the network of the bookcase doors. In the centre stood a table, covered with a cloth of faded crimson velvet, nothing on it but a tarnished ormolu inkstand in the shape of a roman temple across the columns of which spiders had woven dusty webs placed stiffly before the table stood a gilded armchair with cushions of crimson damask and under it a footstool to match which had been worn quite bare by the old philosopher's feet here said lawrence he would sit day after day among his books drawing or reading or writing or looking out at his flowers or at the sea look these two folios bound in red morocco are a collection of his verses letters essays and so on that he had had privately printed they are not all i am afraid quite fit to read but this first volume is all right i should like to take it out and show it to you by and by but come i have nothing more to exhibit now we had better join the others they will not be far off he said as they left the pavilion indeed i think i can hear them talking in another moment they had passed through an arch of evergreens and found themselves on the spot where nearly all the rest of the party had already assembled disposed in an easy group upon the grass the place was an amphitheatre of velvet turf set round with laurels and all kinds of shrubs in the arena of which if one may so speak a little fountain splashed cool and restless in a porphyry basin overhead the blue summer sky was screened by the whispering shade of tall trees and above the dark laurel leaves the fresh sea was seen in the distance an azure haze full of sparklings the whole scene as miss merton and lawrence with his gorgeous folio under his arm came upon it was curiously picturesque the various dresses made against the green turf a soft medley of colours the ladies were in white and black and pale yellow green and crimson and dove colour all the men except mr luke were in shooting coats and mr saunders who wore knickerbockers had even pink stockings and here as the lights and shades flickered over them and the gentle air breathed upon them they seemed altogether like a party from which an imaginative onlooker might have expected a new decameron already under lady grace's vigorous guidance a certain amount of talk had begun apropos of the new republic all the ladies with the exception of mrs st clair having fallen to discussing the true position of women or rather of woman and their opinions on this point being a little various but besides this the post had arrived and that too had created some excitement lady ambrose in particular had become delightfully radiant on receiving a large envelope that was stiff as she handled it and which she saw contained as she just peeped into it a card on the top of which was printed to have the honour to meet she had too just extracted from lord allen a promise to come and stay with her next autumn in the country 
and her measure of good spirits was quite full now mr lawrence she exclaimed dangling her hat in her hand do come and put a stop to this you see what a woman's parliament would be if we ever have one which my husband says is not at all impossible here is one of us who thinks that everything will go well if women can only learn to paint flowers on white dessert plates and get fifteen shillings apiece for them and i said lady grace smiling good-naturedly was just saying that they all ought to be taught logic perfectly true exclaimed mr saunders putting up his spectacles to see who had spoken and miss merton said lady ambrose thinks that we should all be taught to walk the hospitals or be sick nurses i should not so much mind that said mrs sinclair in wartime if one had any one fighting in whose life one really took an interest i once thought mr leslie that that might be my mission perhaps but said lady ambrose how are we to build a castle in the air together if we are all at cross purposes like this there did indeed seem little prospect of their getting to work at all until leslie exclaimed at last that he thought he had found a way see said mrs sinclair i told you a little while ago you would be wanted to talk cleverly and now mr leslie don't you think you would be more comfortable if you sat a little farther off or lady grace of whom i am already afraid will begin to think we're flirting well said leslie in spite of all our differences i think i see a way in which we shall all be able to set to work together we want to imagine a state that shall be as nearly perfect as we can make it well and good now we shall all admit i suppose that in a perfect state all the parts will be perfect and each part will imply and involve all the others given one bone we shall be able to construct the entire animal let us then take one part and imagine that first let us take the highest class in our state and see what we think that ought to be looking on it in the first place not as a corporate body of superiors but as an assembly of equals let us i mean to put it in other words begin with seeing what we really wish society to be what we really think that the highest and most refined life consists in that is possible for the most favoured classes and then let us see afterwards what is implied in this leslie's proposal was welcomed eagerly by every one well said lady ambrose and so we are each of us to say are we what we think is the essence of good society come then who knows art murmured mr rose reason said mr saunders unworldliness based on knowledge of the world said miss merton wait a moment said lawrence we are going too fast this is not what mr leslie means no no said mr saunders let us get rid of what is evil before we introduce what is good i should begin by getting rid of every belief that is not based upon reason and every sentiment whose existence cannot be accounted for here we are said lady ambrose all over the place 
now if i might be allowed to say what i thought was the essence of good society i should say that a great part of it at least was the absence of dull and vulgar people excellent exclaimed mr luke and a capital exclusion with which to begin our new republic end of book two chapter three